our Fully Alive series that has been going on for quite a while now in a, in a really good way um, has been focusing on testimonies, uh, personal testimonies. And so it's with uh, uh, you know, great excitement that I'm going to hand over to Sam right now to share um, part of his testimony. So please welcome him with our hands. Awesome. Uh, how long do I have? Is it like 10 minutes or something? Um, I yeah, forgotten. I mean, just don't, don't feel under too much pressure either way. Cool. Okay, so, um, yeah, here I am. Uh, yes. Cool, I know what I'm saying. I'm really comfortable behind a guitar, but you take that away from me and I'm a wreck. Um, okay, so, God is good. Amen. Amen. God is a provider. Amen. Amen. Um, and what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to share two stories that have happened over the last seven months. Uh, not how I came to faith, but how God has brought us through, particularly me, through some really difficult times. Um, but this isn't a sermon, but I'm going to start by reading Psalms 42 and 43, because they go together. Um, because it will give you a picture of how I have been uh, emotionally, mentally, physically um, so yeah, so Psalm 42, as the deer pants the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, my soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go to meet God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, I want you to remember that phrase. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, by night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me, for, rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. God, you are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight, for I will praise him with the lyre or guitar, uh, my, oh God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour, and my God. Those are two very heavy psalms because it has been a heavy seven months. As you know, Florence was born in May. May? It was May. How can I? I can't forget that already because we're in July. Oh, my days. Um, 
But also around March, April time, we found out Abby's contract here wasn't uh, going to continue due to uh, funding and COVID uh, hampering that. So from that time, I set out to find a new job because I'm part time uh, with Youth of Christ and there wasn't any guarantee that I was going to have more hours or anything like that. So hence why we are moving to Buckingham. But the story of coming across a job is very, it's quite long, so I'm going to shorten it. But the long story short is I applied for loads of jobs, basically any youth work job that was south of Birmingham. Um, and I was constantly rejected, constantly having emails saying, no, we're not going to have an interview or I would have an interview and then be rejected. Um, there was one job in particular where I got all the way to the end. I had three interviews. And then I, I got an email saying, come and have a Zoom call with us. We want to have a chat. And I thought, oh, could this be it? Could this be the yes? You've got a job. So I entered the Zoom call and they said, we're sorry. You gave the perfect interviews. Like, we can't fault you, but we're going to go with someone else. And I just inside, I thought, if they think I'm that good, why would they reject me? And Abby constantly was saying in, in this moment of God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And I'm like, no, I'm broken. If I'm not good enough for this and I just gave everything I've got, then, then I'm not going to get anything. Um, and again, I kept on applying and rejecting, applying and rejecting um, until we came across the church in Buckingham. Um, I applied for it. It wasn't my favorite job uh, to apply for. Um, it wasn't very high up on the list. Sorry if you're watching. Oh dear. Um, but we felt, um, we started to feel that God was really calling us there. And it wasn't off of my list because I had forgotten something that God had said to us two years ago. Um, Abby's parents live down in the southwest. And as we've been living over here in the sort of Huntington St. Neers, Gamlingate area, we have to drive across the A428 through Milton Keynes and round Buckingham to get down to Abby's parents. And it was two years ago, we were driving round Buckingham and we both turned to each other and said, we feel the presence of God here. Maybe God is gonna call us here one day. We don't know when, but that's what we feel. And I'd completely forgotten that. So I went to my interview at Buckingham and I thought, you know, I thought I did okay. It wasn't my best the best shot I'd ever given it. But they turned around and said, we're not interested in anyone else, the job's yours. And I was like, what, why? <laughs> Just in shock. And Ab Abby turned to me and said, well, it's because God's called us here. Don't you remember two years ago? And God, that God is faithful and that that's what he's called us to do. Um, then came the next challenge of finding somewhere to live. Buckingham is more expensive than here. Um, it's quite posh. It's definitely a step up. I'm go probably going to be the resident chav, dressed in skinny jeans, top, snapbacks, everything. You know, I've not walked around quite a lot. I've not seen anyone that looks like me. Um, but we found looking for houses really, really difficult. And again, we would put an offer in to rent a house. And although we were first, the landlord would then choose someone else. Well, then the price would go up and it'd be out of our price range. And it was time and time again, just in the space of like a month. 
and the pressure was that our, our flat we've been living in St. Neots, the, the tenancy ends today. So we had to be out before today. <laughs> um, and yeah, time and time again, we've been rejected for somewhere to live. We're like, if God's called us here, then he's going to provide somewhere, right? <laughs> Surely. <laughs> and it was getting really, really difficult. Until three weeks ago, we were at Abby's parents. And whilst we were there, we decided, let's pop into the evening service on the way home. Um, so we left Abby's parents and we started driving and we hit traffic jam after traffic jam after traffic jam. We're like, we're not going to make it to church now. <laughs> no chance. So I was just prepared to drive past and that'd be it. But then suddenly the timer on the sat nav just started dropping and dropping and dropping. And I'm like, like miracles happen, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a sat nav in front of you, the time go up and you'd start panicking and then it drops way below what it was before. And I'm like, we're going to make it to church. I thought we were going to sneak in at the back, have a look around, see what the service is like. And then, you know, we'll leave. But no, we were caught. We were caught up to the front, asked to share our, our prayer request. And we said housing because it's been really difficult, like I've just said, and I, I explained that to them. And at the end of the service, three people came up to us and said, we've got somewhere for you to live. Um, uh, so on Wednesday this past week, we moved to Buckingham um, with five days left, five, four, five days, whatever it is, left on our tenancy here. Um, and it's way under budget, which is incredible. And it's such a blessing. And we're just so thankful for God because God provides because he's provided so many times for us before. It's that remember these things as I pour out my soul, as I used to go and sit in the presence of God. It's remembering what he's done. And the second story that I want to share with you is from the story of Florence's birth. Um, we've shared bits of it with uh, a number of you, uh, but I haven't really shared it from, from my point of view. Um, because it was really challenging. So Abby had an awful pregnancy and was in hospital. In the first half of pregnancy, she was in hospital every few weeks uh, with sickness. Um, and then when that finally stops and Florence, we knew was growing healthy, we thought, oh, finally, that's it. But then a few days before the due date, she stopped moving. Uh, so we rushed to the hospital and they gave a scan and said she's healthy. But the safest thing to do now is to induce. Uh, so we, we agreed, we got all the information, we said, yes, let's go, go ahead with that. And it was a long induction. <laughs> um, in my brain, I was like, okay, induction, inducing, Florence is going to be born tomorrow. I'm mentally prepared for this. And it took five days, five days of waiting. I was back and forth. Uh, I was sleeping at home whilst I was in hospital. And then Florence was born... Uh, for like half past one in the morning on a Tuesday and and after we thought she was healthy she was given a green hat because they have a really cool traffic light system she's given a green hat which means she's a healthy baby there's nothing wrong with her from their first observations and everything's going to be okay and then six hours later just green stuff started spewing out of her and they instantly put her in her cot and rushed her to the intensive care unit for, for newborns. And in this moment, I thought, God, why? I don't know if you've ever experienced anything similar, um, but 
we were we were able to go up and see her whenever we wanted. It was open twenty four seven, thanks uh, to some really good, really good uh, structures around restrictions. Um, and so we went up uh, a little bit later when we knew that she was a little bit more stable. And they said, don't expect to be home for at least two weeks. And I thought, okay, two weeks. There's a time on it. There's a date. I can cope with this. I can prepare for it. Um, and then I, I went home uh, back to our flat in St. Neats that evening whilst I'd be stayed at the hospital because we'd forgotten stuff. Um, so I had to go back and stay at home to make sure I brought enough supplies for the next day. And I got home and I just fell on the floor in a panic attack. And I've been prone to panic attacks uh, through my teenage years, uh, around phobias and things like that, but this was like nothing I've ever felt before. Um, I, like I'm sat there at home on my own, I can't breathe. So I'm just hyperventilating constantly. My heart rate is just insane. I'm, I didn't have my watch on, otherwise it, the number probably would have scared me. Um, I eventually managed to calm down and get some rest. And then I woke up at 2 a.m. mid-panic attack again. The panic attack had woken me up in my sleep. And I'm like, God, what is going on? And I heard nothing. I didn't feel any peace. And then I woke up at about 6 a.m., again having another panic attack, and that was it for the day. Um, I'm starting to get ready to go to the hospital uh, to see Abby and for us to go up and see Florence. And I have to get in the car whilst I'm still shaking and start driving because I know I have to be there. And as you know, worship is a big thing for me, hence why I'm, I lead worship fairly often. Um, and I put worship music on in the car and I just wasn't, it was just having no impact on me. I wasn't feeling any peace. The words just were going over my head as I was just driving. It was almost like I was driving on autopilot, just trying not to shake too much until I got to, uh, the crossroads, uh, towards Addenbrooke's hospital. As you come up at Trumpington, you go straight on and then on the roundabout. And I was stuck at those traffic lights, what felt like an eternity. And I knew that uh, one of my favorite Christian worship artists had released a new song. We're going to listen to it in a minute, but it's called It's Always Been You. Um, so I got Siri to play it for me um, through Spotify and things like that. So I was just like, hey, Siri, play, play It's Always Been You. And the moment it came on, just peace just washed over me. Just, I physically felt it in the car at the red light and it just felt like it, it just knocked me out. Um, the words, you're going to hear it in a moment, but it's, I can't remember. Hang on. Sorry. <laughs> I do remember. I promise. But the words just broke me in that moment. And it, it, it was just God saying, this is how I love you. And this is how I want you to love Florence. And this is what I've done for you in the past. And this is what I'm going to do for you now. So the words of the chorus are, you are the voice that calms the storm inside of me. The castle walls that stand around me. All this time, my guardian was you. You are the light that shines in every tunnel. You're there in the past and you'll be there tomorrow. All my life, your love 
is breaking through. So those are the words of the chorus, and it was that was God telling me that He's there for me, He's there for Florence, He's there for Abby. That He's been there in the past. Of these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise. And suddenly in that moment, although I hadn't heard the song before, when the chorus came around the second time, I was shouting it at the top of my lungs with joy because it's that praise in our remembrance that God is there for us, there in the past and there tomorrow. So I think, Mike, you've got the song ready ready to play and then that's me.
sorry, I forgot to say, uh, the end of the story is that uh, two days after going into the intensive care unit, Florence had pulled her own feeding tube out um, because she's a stubborn little one. And uh, the nurses up there decided, okay, let's try her on a little bit of food just to see what happens, uh, just as a little test. And amazingly, she took it and she kept it down despite not keeping anything down before that. Um, and then the next day, uh, Florence was back on the ward with Abby, and the day after that, we came home. So it's like three, four days after we're told that we're go it's going to be at least two weeks. We're home. Um, God's done miracles. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Yeah. Thank you, Sam, for, for sharing that powerful, powerful testimony. There's something incredibly powerful, isn't there, when people tell stories of what God has done in their lives, what God is doing in their lives. Um, in fact, you know, I, I believe this passionately, that the most powerful thing we can do in Christian witness is to just tell our story. And that's what this series is is all about. You see, sometimes, you know, I've, I've, in my life, wanted to reach out to people and convince them of the existence of God, and I've read books that sort of give me all the scientific facts and uh, all the knowledge that I need to get into a good argument and win with people who don't believe God exists, and I've gone to those conversations, and invariably I've come out of those conversations and realized that it didn't work realized in some cases that I was stumped by the arguments coming back at me, realizing that clever arguments, scientifically based arguments, theologically sound arguments um, are somehow really ineffective when it comes to reaching people with God's love. But the moment you tell your story of how Jesus has impacted you, when you tell the story of how God has provided for you, no matter how dramatic or undramatic that story may be, it's powerful. In fact, in many ways, the less dramatic it is, the more powerful it can be. Just telling our story. And I just want us in reflection, and that's, this is what this series has all been about and will be about until it finishes, it's, it's telling our story and encouraging all of us to think, how can we tell our stories? And if you've not been brave enough yet to volunteer to, uh, to give your testimony, um, then you know, I encourage you to consider doing that. Um, and if you're wondering why haven't I given mine, well, I, I get to preach quite a bit and I get to share part of my life on a regular basis. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of holding back, you know, giving opportunity for other people to as well. Um, but you know, I do encourage you to do that. But if that's a bit too much for you now, then certainly reflect and think, how can I prepare to share my story with friends, with family? Not from the front, not on streaming YouTube, but just with an individual. I want us to turn to, uh, to help us put some reflection into this, I want us to turn to John 4. You don't have to turn, I'm going to read it. Um, and in John 4, there, there's this amazing encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, and it ends with this. It ends with uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me everything I ever did. That's what it ends with. But let's just read. I might skip a few passages just so we can focus on the ones that are most important. Um, now, Jesus was going through Samaria, had to go through Samaria. This is verse 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And if you can imagine, there's Jesus sitting by this well. How's he going to get the water? Um, I'm not sure that he traveled with a, with a bucket and some rope. How does he get the water? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How? I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. As I say it, it ends in verse 39. This particular episode ends in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, this is a significant passage um, I, I've preached on this one before a, a couple of years ago. It, it's significant in many, many ways that Jesus here is reaching out to the Samaritans. Now, the Jews 
had less regard for Samaritans than they had for Gentiles. They considered them ethnically unpure and theologically unsound. The fact that Jesus was choosing to reach out to the Samaritans at all was a signal that Jesus was prepared to reach out to everyone and a precursor to when Paul, uh, Paul's mission to the Gentiles. But he chose, when reaching out to the Samaritans, he chose to reach out first to a woman. Mentioned a couple of times in there, a Samaritan woman. The woman wasn't just surprised he was talking to a Samaritan. She was surprised he was talking to her as a woman. Because Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. And society at the time considered women to be of a lower position. And here is Jesus showing the amazing liberty of God that God has for us in that he wants to reach us all, irrespective of our background, irrespective of our gender, irrespective of, you know, of who we are. It's significant because this is one of the first instances we see in Scripture where Jesus publicly, at least to one person here, admits that he is the Messiah. He's kind of been letting people discover this for themselves and keeping it a little bit quiet because his time wasn't quite there and he had to be careful. But here is an instance where Jesus unequivocally says, I, the one talking to you, is the Messiah. It's a significant experience. But I want to look at this part of it. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And I want to consider the basis of her testimony and think, you know, what is the basis of our testimony? I want to look at how she presented her testimony and consider how can we present our testimonies effectively. And then I want to look at the results of her sharing her testimony and what results we might expect. That sounds like a three-point sermon, doesn't it? <laughs> um, well, it kind of is, but I'm going to whiz through it. Um, we're, not, we're not going to be here forever. Um, but the basis, the basis of her testimony above all else, is that she had an experience with Jesus. There is no testimony without us having an encounter with Jesus. And you know, it's possible to come to church all your life. It's possible to, with your head, believe things. But we all need that experience with Jesus. That moment when Jesus becomes real to us, that moment when Jesus speaks to us and we say yes to Jesus. And the first thing I'd say is, you know, if, you've, if you think, well, I don't have a testimony, and as I'm speaking, you're beginning to think, well, I've, I've never really had that experience of meeting Jesus. Do you know what? You can do that this morning. You can just ask Jesus to make himself real to you and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to say yes to you. And we may have the outward appearance of somebody who, who has had that experience and yet not actually had it. And so it's right to just highlight this and say, if you've never had that experience of knowing Jesus, of an encounter with him, then ask for it. Say yes to Jesus. 
my mum's experience, I, I listened back to my mum giving a testimony when I was about eight. I never listened, well, I didn't listen to it when I was eight. <laughs> but listening back onto a recording, very old scratchy cassette recording, I could hear this, uh, hear her give her testimony. And she said, uh, she, was, she was brought up as a, as a Pentecostal Christian. She was, the, uh, she was the daughter of the minister of the church in, Pentecostal church in Cambridge. Her father founded the Pentecostal church in Cambridge. And uh, they were going to a sort of outreach thing, and somebody came up to her and said, well, could you give your testimony? She was about 12 or something. Could you give your testimony in the, in the outdoor service? And she said, oh, no, not me. No, I can't do that. And she went home greatly troubled because she thought, the reason I can't share my testimony isn't because I'm scared of sharing it, it's because I don't have one. And she, that night, got down by her bedside and prayed, Jesus, come into my life. I, I need to know you. And she then describes the next few weeks as if she was walking on air. She met with Jesus. So the first important thing to say, to have a testimony, we need that experience with Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. And its experience will be personal. When you look at the, 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 the story there, the woman at the well, Jesus spoke to her personally. She had a personal uh, experience that was for her only. And all of our experiences are different, and we should not compare. We might hear a, a grand experience and think, wow, well, I, my testimony can't match up to that. But you know what? It doesn't need to be dramatic. Our testimony does not need to be dramatic. One of the first women to testify about Jesus was Anna. She was about 105 years old. and She'd been waiting around in the temple. And then she met Jesus as a baby. The Bible doesn't tell us that he spoke. <laughs> And we're assuming that he didn't because he was a baby. And yet that meeting with Jesus, as undramatic as that sounds, meant that for the rest of her life, she spoke to anyone she could about Jesus. She told, I've met Jesus. I've met the Messiah. And she told people. It's amazing. There's another um, older person at the same time, Simeon, who met Jesus. And his response was to say, oh, great, I've met the Messiah. Now I can die. <laughs> Um, Anna's response is, I've met the Messiah, I must tell everyone, um, which I think is, <laughs> is, is Trump's uh, Simeon's uh, response to it. Um, but it doesn't need to be dramatic. And interestingly, when we look at what happened, she went, she, she left her, she'd come out to draw water, but she left it there to go back and tell her village or her town what had just happened. Now, she didn't have weeks to work out her faith, to put into action the things that God was telling her that Jesus was teaching her. She was not in a position of victory at this point. She went within minutes of meeting Jesus and just told her story. We do not have to be in a position of victory to share the story of meeting Jesus. You know, we can be at our lowest ebb and having failed God for weeks and yet, we still have that story of when he met us. Because it's not about us. It's about the story. It's about Jesus. And that's important to remember. Our testimony is not actually about us. It's about Jesus. And Jesus never fails. And Jesus remains the same. The final thing I'll say about the basis is she went and told from a position of not having triumphed over everything, um, and she told straight away, and it was current. It was a current situation that she was telling about. And that's 
that's something to me right now. It's challenging to me right now because I'm in a, uh, you know, I've had plenty of times in my life where I could give testimonies of what God has done in my life, including when I became a Christian and then lots of provision stories like Sam has shared of, of where God has worked in my life. But right now I'm thinking, wow, I'm in the middle of a lot of challenging circumstances. When was the last, when was that last story that I can share? And that's a challenge for us all. We should all have up-to-date stories of where God has provided for us. And if we don't have those up-to-date stories, and I'm being challenged about that at the moment, that should just sober us a little and think, okay, I need to reconnect with Jesus. I need to get my priorities back in order and spend time with Jesus and bring him my life so that our testimonies are current. So that's the basis. The basis for our testimony is an experience with Jesus, an ongoing experience with Jesus. Then the presentation, what does she do? She simply went back and told what had happened. She didn't go back and give a theological exposition of the Messiah. She didn't go back and try to demonstrate through evidence um, that she had met the Messiah. No, she just went back and said, wow, this man told me everything I knew. Could this be the Messiah? She just went back and told. You see, the power of telling your story is it cuts through. It cuts through all other objections that people might have to accepting God, accepting Jesus. Because in telling a story, particularly to people who know you, family and friends, they know you, they know your faults, they know your character. When you tell a story of how you've met Jesus, and it's about Jesus that you're telling, not yourself, People pick up the genuinity of that. People can see there's something here. I remember I spent ages arguing with a friend in, in a very positive way, arguing with a friend, him arguing for the fact that God was just made up and me arguing for, uh, you know, why that wasn't true and how God existed and everything. And I say ages, a period of over a year, I had discussions with this friend and he finally became a Christian. Bit of a surprise to me because it was nothing to do with me. And, you know, and I apologized to him once. I said, I'm sorry I tried to give all those arguments. You won them all. <laughs> I said, what, you know, what was the change for you? At what point did you think there might be something in this? And he said, well, it was interesting. It was when I was completely um, destroying you in an argument. <laughs> and you suddenly became really cross with me because, and you said something along the lines of, you know, how can you be so academic about something that's, that's real in my life? You know, how can you talk so academically about someone I love? And I can't remember the words, and I can't remember his words, but basically he said, in the middle of you losing an argument, you spoke just about your relationship with God, and that made me think there's something real here, made me realize there's something real here. And again, it wasn't me. What he picked up was that there was something behind what I was talking about, that there was a real saviour who I had some experience of, and it was the saviour that attracted him, not me. See, God doesn't need us to defend him or argue for him. He just needs us to tell of what he's done. And we don't even need chapter and verse. You know, sometimes you worry, oh, I, I, I can never argue with my non-Christian friends because I, I can't remember the Bible reference. I can't remember exactly what it says. And you know what? We don't have to. Because if we need a Bible reference, 
Okay, this is what Jesus says when, in, when he was talking to his disciples um, in an instant quite close to this one. Jesus told his disciples, was preparing his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he, he gave them five things that the Holy Spirit was being given for. And one of them was this. He will remind you of everything I've told you. He will remind you of everything I've told you. And when we are just stepping out in faith to share our story, if God wants that person we're talking to to hear a specific reference, the Holy Spirit will remind us of that reference. Now, remind is an important word. It does suggest that we did know it to begin with. So in reading the Bible is quite important. <laughs> we need to read it. We don't need to memorize it. But as long as we've read it, um, and we as Christians do that, don't we? we? We try to read as much as we can of the Bible on an ongoing basis. If we're doing that, you know, the Holy Spirit has, can remind us. can bring to our memory stuff we thought we'd forgotten. So we don't have to not, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of giving our testimony because we think, well, I don't have the right arguments and I can't remember the right, the verses and the chapters because all God asks us to do is to share the good news. And the good news is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our story. Our story is how we met Jesus and what he's done for us. And the Holy Spirit will remind us of anything else we need to share in that conversation. I remember one particularly tricky argument that I had with a, a friend and tricky in terms of we were talking about, you know, what Christians believe and how ridiculous that was nowadays. And I just got to this point and she was saying, you know, how can you possibly believe in God with this and that and this happening? You know, how can you believe? And I said, well, do you know what? I, I can't I can't answer your arguments. Your logic is great. I too think, wow, you know, how, how are certain things possible? But the reason I believe in a loving God is because this happened to me. And then I told her of an experience. I told her of an experience of when I was at camp. I felt springs of living water well up within me as I was being prayed for. And you know, in that passage we've just read, it says... The water I give will be like springs of living water welling up from inside of you. And as a teenager at camp being prayed for, not, not really knowing that passage, I felt those springs of living water in my stomach welling up. And immediately after that proceeded a year of, uh, of me feeling empowered to reach out to my friends about the love of God. And as I was telling her that story, I said, I cannot deny this. God touched me in a way I wasn't expecting and in a real physical way. And as I was telling that story, you could see the veils fall from her eyes, the objections she had. All arguments about why God couldn't exist were replaced with this. Oh, my goodness. There seems to be something real here that I can't understand. Now, I don't know what happened to her with her faith journey. Jesus says, someone sows, somebody else's reaps, you reap what others have sown. We don't get to see necessarily all the effects. We may share a story and we think it's fallen on deaf ears, but years later, unknown to us, it may have contributed to somebody coming to Jesus. And that's the important thing. What is the result? And this is my third point as we draw to a close. What is the result of testimony? You see... The woman at the well, she went back and she told it as it was. And that resulted in people coming with her back to Jesus. 
And that is the result of testimony, is it draws people to Jesus. We might not necessarily see the conversion moment. We may just be there at the beginning of a long process. But it draws, it points people to Jesus. The result of her telling is that the Samaritans came out with her to meet Jesus. People don't become Christians because of our testimony. They don't become Christians because of our testimony. But they are drawn to Jesus because of our testimony. And if they meet Jesus, that's where they become Christians. Our testimony can only lead them to their own experience of Jesus. It's a person's response to Jesus that brings salvation. And we can see this so clearly in the verse, just to remind you how it ended. Many Samaritans said, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the saviour of the world. They met with Jesus. They wouldn't have met him without the woman's testimony. But because of her testimony, they met with Jesus and they believed. So, as you're considering those things, I think to sum it all up is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We need an experience of Jesus to have the testimony to tell. When we tell a testimony, we're just telling what happened in our experience with Jesus. And that will lead to people having their own experience with him. So I encourage you all, if you've felt inadequate, it's not about us. If you felt ineloquent, it's not about the words we use. If you felt, well, nothing massively dramatic happened, it doesn't have to have happened. If you met with Jesus, that is something more dramatic than we realize. And when we tell that story, it affects people.